We're going to do a hundred guitars of praise right up here. We're going to have a Friday night worship night, and we're going to have 100 acoustical guitars up on this stage, and I guess maybe flowing off the stage, and we're going to have a night of just worshiping the Lord. You say, can you do that? Yeah, we've done it. We've done it over and over again, and it's incredible. How many of you love to worship? Well, that's about half of you. Let's try that again. How many of you kind of kindly like to worship? All right, that's better. I know it's the early service, but let's, let's, let's uh, turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. Now, y'all are awake. I'm kidding. I'm just thankful that I was not there when that spirit of shave your hair off fell on those young people because you wouldn't want to see it, neither would I. All right, we're going to talk today, uh, continuing this uh, cool sermons for a hot summer, and I'm dealing with you, uh, or dealing with the Word here and sharing with you. Some, some messages God has put on my heart. I want to talk to you today about something that is real to everybody at some time in their life. And we find the greatest example of whether something is going to be your tombstone or your stepping stone. In 1 Samuel 30, in the story of David. Now let's look here. It says three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw that the ruins or saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, listen how hard these men cried. They wept until they could weep no more. You ever cried that way where there wasn't a tear left in your tear ducts. They cried until they couldn't cry another tear. David's two wives were among those captured. Not only that, David was now in great danger because even his men were turning on him. All his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk about stoning him. But read the last part with me, will you? But David found strength in the Lord his God. That's one of the best, greatest verses in the Old Testament, and I can't tell you how many times I've leaned on it. Lord, thank you for the Word of God. My prayer, Lord, is that those things that could become a tombstone over somebody's life will not become that, but will be transformed into a stepping stone by the power of God. Because, Lord, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we may be down, but we're not out. And we thank you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Now can you say, Lord, speak to my heart and raise me up in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and say, stepping stone. Now let me, uh, <clears throat> let me share this, this message with you. Uh, I love this story, and this topic is so crucial. As a pastor of over 25 years, I've seen people go down and never get back up, and I've seen people overcome incredible, incredible obstacles. And I really do believe that God never intends anything to be our tombstone. But God, by His power, can make anything a stepping stone. Now let's talk about what happened to David. David should never have been in Ziklag. In a moment of weakness, after 10 years of running from an insane king 
who hated David's guts because he was jealous of him and envious of him, after ten years of living in caves, living out in the open stars, David, in a moment of weakness, when his faith faltered, he, he sought refuge and strength in the city of the Philistines and under the security of the Philistine king. Now, what an irony, because he had killed their champion years before, Goliath. Here is David, this mighty man of faith, suddenly caving to the point where he takes refuge in the city of his former enemies, the enemy that had taunted Israel, mocked the people of God, persecuted people of faith. It's interesting to me that not one psalm from the psalmist of Israel has been found that was written during his time in Ziklag. Because David went down. David took a step into the flesh when he sought refuge there. Now, it got to the point where the Philistines began to go out to battle, and David asked if he could go with them. The scary part about this was, he was they were going to battle against the children of Israel. David was called to be the king of Israel, but he was so down, so, uh, uh, so defeated in the faith that had exemplified his life that he was willing actually to go to battle against his own people who he felt had turned on him and do his best to help the Philistines to overcome his own flesh. By the providence of God, he was stopped. You know, sometimes God will stop you when you don't know you ought to be stopped. And he stopped him. God stopped him. And the Philistine army and the Philistine king, Achish, said, you can't come with us. They won't let you go. And so David, dejectedly with his men, dejected, angry, rejected, with a good case of tuckhead. You know what tuckhead is? When you look down, you won't look somebody in the eye. You're always looking at the ground. That's what they had. They're headed back to Ziklag. And as they approach Ziklag, they see a nightmare unfolding in front of them. Smoke is rising into the sky. Their hearts begin to beat. As they draw closer, they see that the whole city has been destroyed, burned to the ground, the first thought that shoots through their mind is, my wife, my children, my loved ones, my goods, all that I own, all that I have, my family. Panic began to set in. Fear set in. A great big oh no set in. As they got closer and closer, they realized everything was gone, everyone was gone. They didn't know if they were dead or alive. The Amalekites had raided the city. This was a moment of ultimate discouragement for David. Think about it. Ten years running from Saul. Ten years, no place to call home. No place to lay your head. Ten years, no nation to call your own. Ten years living in the stress of uncertainty. The stress of anxiety and angst. Am I going to wake up tonight and there is going to be the king of Israel with a spear ready to run it through me? Is today the day I die or is today the day that God protects me? This, this tragedy at Ziklag was the final straw for young David. This was the moment 
when it seemed like everything caved in on him. This was the kind of moment where you look up and you go, does God care? Is God in charge? Is he in charge of my life, of my loved ones, of my stuff, of my things, of what matters to me? Or is the enemy in charge? Ziklag. Ziklag. It was his down moment. It's, it's when you are stricken in your innermost, innermost. It is when you go through something that extracts from you everything you've got, and then it extracts some more. It bleeds you on the inside. It shakes and rattles and rolls your faith. Ziklag. Most of us, at some time in life, are going to face a ziklag. A ziklag experience comes somewhere along the way. At some time or another, we face a crisis where everything seems to fall apart. It rattles you. It tests you. It's a trying season when things go wrong, even when you're trying to do right. A time of uncertainty when you have no idea how it's going to turn out, how that marriage is going to turn out, how that job is going to turn out, how that health issue is going to turn out. You don't know. It's uncertain. It's a time of great stress when our load seems heavier than we can bear and the task seems more greater than we can handle. You say, Pastor Jeff, don't preach this on me. I don't have to. It's a part of life. This is life in the raw. This is the what happens in life sometimes, whether you're saved or not. Just because you got saved doesn't mean you got delivered from st stress, problems, trials, persecutions. As a matter of fact, sometimes getting saved brings more on you than you had before. But thank God greater is he that is in you, I'm going to say it again, than he that is in the world. You know, it's when you're experiencing a ziklag and all that's around you is smoldering ashes. And that's what was around David, smoldering ashes. His wife's gone, his children gone, his goods gone. Smoldering ashes. When you're standing in the middle of an ash pile and, 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 and the smoke is rising and everything is gone, it's tempting to say, so this is what I get for serving God? This is what I get for doing right. I was just trying to do right. And nobody told me this was coming. This trial did not send me a telegram. They never do. It was this kind of time for David, taken down to the mat, down to the wire. It seemed like the enemy was standing over him, giving him the count, and the count was to nine. On the run from Saul sleeping under the stars and in the secrecy of caves, watching his reputation as a heroic giant killer sullied and ruined under the relentless slander of a jealous king. And now this, now this, no place to call home, always on the lookout, always on guard, always on edge. David when Ziklag happened, was already weary and worn. His faith was already faltering. And now after this long stretch of testing, the future king of Israel is blindsided by this series of trials that were like punches in the gut. One, two, three, four. Wives and children kidnapped, city of refuge on fire. His own men saying, let's kill him, let's get rid of him. Following him has been a, an exercise in futility. We've gotten nowhere in 10 years. 
Now, I'm going to tell you something. If ever there was a person who could have said, you know what, time to put up the white flag. He could have said, you know, guys, I understand. You followed me for 10 years, and this is where we've ended up. And, and I understand if you want to walk away. Now, don't kill me, but if you want to walk away, I understand if you want to walk, walk away because I'm done with this. I'm, I'm just going to uh, cash in my chips. I'm going to pick up my marbles and go home. It's over. This walk of faith has been great, a real adventure, but I'm done. I'm ready to go find a wife, find some simple little job to do, and call it a day. But something was in David. I'm going to say it again. Something was in David. I'm going to say it one more time. There was something in David that did not let him walk away and quit. It was the spirit of a champion. It was the spirit of a king. It was the spirit of an overcomer. It was the spirit of a conqueror. He did not know how to spell quit. And I want to tell you today, church, the day is upon the church and in America that you better grow a spine and it better be steel and you better get ready for persecution to come upon you if you're an outspoken believer in Jesus Christ and if you're in the closet, you better come out because they're going to come in the closet and find you anyway. You better come out. At this point, when Ziklag was burned to the ground and all was gone, David had to make a choice. And so do we when Ziklag's happen. Is this going to be my tombstone? Or is this going to be my stepping stone? Is this going to be where I die? Or is this going to be where I arise? Ziklag's show what is deep down inside of you. Ziklag's reveal what is deep down in your innermost, innermost. Ziklag's reveal who lives in you and who does not. Now, you all know that I love cycling. You know that I do. I got a new bike a little, while, a little while back, and I love it. I go out all the time in the heat, in the evening. Doesn't matter. I love it. And, you know, I have found that cycling is full of illustrations about real life. For instance, cycling. It doesn't take long to discover that there are long stretches of level, predictable, uneventful, same old, same old road where you just keep on pedaling at a steady pace, keeping on, keeping on, one foot in front of the other. That's part of cycling, and that's part of life. Then there are times when you go downhill, and you don't even have to pedal. I love those times. You don't even have to pedal. It's effortless, and it can even be a little bit dangerous because you can go so fast going downhill. It's the easy part of the ride, going downhill. But here's what you find out when you're cycling, that if you go down a hill, you're going to have to come back uphill somewhere. If you go downhill, you're going to have to come back up. It's like the old preacher said, you never know how far you fell till you start to climb back up. If you think about it, life is just like that bike ride. That's the way that it is. It consists mainly of level road, keeping on, keeping on, just pedaling at the same pace, going to work, coming home, playing with the kids, going to church, and so on. It is the predictable cycle of life. But then there are downhill times. 
Downhill experiences can take place for a positive reason or a negative reason. <laughs> Got real quiet when I said that. See, downhill times can be something you bring on yourself or it can be something that the road of life just hands to you. Downhill. For instance, you may head downhill when you decide to cast off your discipline, distance yourself from God, and begin to walk in the flesh. You can say, I've had about all this church fun I can stand. I'm tired of praying, tired of being disciplined, tired of all the rules and regulations. And you get kind of tired of the Father's house like we talked about last week. And so you cast off your discipline, you cast off your convictions, and you decide to go downhill. The rules and the disciplines of the Father's house seem like a distant memory. At first, downhill feels great. Ask the prodigal son. He thought it was great. Wine, women, song, no rules, free living, free loving. Ha <laughs> ha, this is great. I wish I'd have done this before. I'm hardly having to pedal at all. No consequences. And you have no idea the seeds are going in the ground. The seeds of a lack of discipline and disobedience are going in the ground. But you're going downhill for a while. And that's why the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. Here's what you end up saying to yourself and probably to a few others that are going downhill with you. All that church stuff was just old-fashioned nonsense. This is easy. I'm having a blast. I'm enjoying life. I should have done this a long time ago. But one day you hit the bottom of the hill, I promise you. And you find yourself in a valley looking up at a very steep hill that you're going to have to climb. The consequences come rolling in and your downhill joy ride ends up in a ziklag-like pit of loss and pain. And there you are in ziklag because you put yourself in ziklag. And that makes ziklag even harder when you did it to you. Sometimes life just hands you a ziklag out of nowhere. Someone walks out. A job is lost. Things go wrong. First this, then that, then the other. And you're doing your best to seek God. But ziklag happens anyway. And you find yourself at the bottom in a valley. And you look at that hill and nothing in you wants to climb the hill. And you say to yourself, is this going to be my tombstone? Or is this going to be my stepping stone? Because some things hit you hard enough. Sometimes something slaps you upside the head strong enough that it has the power to become your tombstone if you let it. Somebody leaves you and betrays you. You lose a job or you make a mistake. Usually ziklag consists of several things that come against you all at once. And you know that you've got the option. I can lay down right here and die, or I can let this become my stepping stone. I can let this become my finest moment, my finest hour, my greatest decision. I can decide to let this become what makes me instead of breaking me. I can make up my mind that this is something I'm going to let God use for His glory. I can make up my mind this is not going to bury me. It's going to make me into what I really want to be anyway. Now, if you decide that it's going to be your tombstone, and believe me, I've known many of those. I talked to a guy one day in a park. 
I was preaching in a park, and there was this older gentleman walked up and said, can I buy you a snow cone? I said, sure, you can buy me a snow cone, because I was going to preach, and I was very nervous. It was all lost people. And so I said, sure. He went and bought me a snow cone, came back and began talking to me. And, of course, I asked him about church and about his walk with God. He said, I used to be in church. And he got this scowl on his face, and this darkness covered his countenance. And I knew that I'd stepped on a landmine. His name was Joe. And I said, really? Well, what happened? Me and the preacher, we got into an argument, and I left. Well, he was telling me like it had happened the day before, and me being a restoring kind of a guy, I thought, well, maybe I can take Joe and go meet the preacher and make things right. So I said, well, where is he? I don't know. Okay, what's his name? I'll try to find him. I don't know where he is. Well, how long ago did this happen? 22 years ago. And I realized an offense had become his tombstone. He had not decided to let it be a stepping stone. It took him out spiritually, took him out of his walk, took him out of his victory, took him out of spiritual fruitfulness for the rest of his life. He let an offense be his tombstone. It's up to you. Will it be your tombstone? Will that event that's happened to you be your tombstone? Or will it be your stepping stone? Yes, somebody left. Yes, somebody walked out. Yes, you were betrayed. Yes, friends did not turn out to be friends. But can you make up your mind to let it be a stepping stone? If you decide for it to be your tombstone, i got a million-dollar question for you. If you're going to quit, if you're going to walk away, put up the white flag, what are you going to quit to? Well, I'm just going to quit. Well, what's in quit? What are you going to quit to? Can I give you a newsflash today and make it worth you coming to church? If you quit and start to go back, there's nothing back there. You're not going to find the same friends. You're not going to find the same joy and sin. You're not going to find the same life. You've been ruined for all that when you got saved. What are you going to quit to? You're going to live playing a violin throwing pity parties, having people come around and feel sorry for you. You're going to get a bunch of other quitters around you and just all dig a deep hole together and live down there. Is that what you're going to quit to? Can I give you some news today? When you're in a ziklag, the only valid, feasible direction is forward. You've got to go forward. When you start to go forward, when you decide to come out of ziklag, you've got to know three things, and here they are. First one. Very simple. you got to know that God is on your side. God is on your side. You see, David turned to God when his men said, let's kill him, when circumstances said he's finished, when it looked like his life was over and his dream was destroyed. David did not believe it was over because he believed in God and he believed that God was on his side. You've got to know God is on your side. He would never have gone and prayed, Lord, what do I do? Do I pursue them? Do I chase after them? Do I go to battle against them? He would never have been able to do that. He would never have gone to God had he not believed God was on his side. His men left his side. King Saul left his side. The children of Israel left his side, but God did not leave his side. Can I tell you something about the Lord? 
He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Lord will never leave you. He will never forsake you. When everybody else walks out, Jesus walks in. He is your best friend. That's why you ought to stick with Him, be loyal to Him, walk with Him, live for Him, die for Him, because ain't nobody going to help you like Jesus does. This is why David wrote Psalms 118, verse 6, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can a man do to me when the Lord is on my side? Can I give you a... Hey, listen, if the Lord is on my side, I can run through a troop. I can leap over a wall. I can overcome any devil in hell. If I know the Lord is on my side, nobody and no thing can stop me. If I know the Lord is on my side, I can do exploits for God. If I know the Lord is on my... I came to preach today, church. I hope you came to listen. See, it's when you stop believing he's on your side that you really go down. David wrote in another place, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. But the Lord was on our side. So every weapon formed against you will not prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you will condemn because the Lord is on your side. Come on, church. Give him a hand to pray. He's a good God. Paul wrote, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God did not hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? There's nothing God won't do to deliver you. There's nothing he won't do to rescue you. There's not a thing, a mountain he won't bring down, a valley he won't bring up. There is nothing that God will not undertake to rescue you, deliver you, heal you, establish you, answer you. Nothing. I could stop right there. That's good preaching. We could all go home. But secondly, to survive Ziklag, here's another thing you've got to know. You've got to know that you must make the decision to fight back. You see, I've learned this about God. When God calls you to do something, he always requires a response. A response of faith is required in virtually everything that happens between you and God. I've learned this about God. And God can want to rescue. I can know that God's on my side, but I've learned. Though I know he's on my side, I know that I also have got to take the sword of the Spirit in one hand, the shield of faith in the other. I've got to lay hold of the promises of God, and I've got to stand up, and I've got to make a quality decision that I'm going to fight back. I'm not going to lay down and die. I will fight back. I will not allow a tombstone to be erected over my future and my calling and my dream. I will fight back back. I will make the decision. I'm not going down. I'm going through. I will fight 
back. You can't just lay there and expect God to do everything for you. If you say, I need a job, you can't sit in your living room and name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. You've got to hit the pavement and fight back. Ziklags always require a decision. Is this going to be my tombstone? Because it can. Or is it going to be my stepping stone? You can die there or you can arise from there. David decided to pursue the enemy and recover what had been stolen from him by the enemy. And it says David recovered all. But he recovered all when he fought back. God's on your side, but you've got to decide to rise up, church. You've got to decide to go to the place of prayer. You've got to decide to stand in the middle of your living room and plead the blood of Jesus over your home. You've got to decide to fight back. The Bible talks about the story of the four lepers sitting outside the gate of Samaria in the days of Elisha. A famine was raging behind them in the city of Samaria. Leprosy was raging in their bodies. And in front of them sat the ferocious Syrian army starving the children of Israel to death. It could not have been more bleak, more hopeless. And yet, they said something that I have said to myself many times in my life. They looked at each other and said, why are we sitting here until we die? That's a great question to ask yourself. Maybe you ought to ask it to yourself today. You may be in church, but inside, you're sitting down, you're not fighting, you're dying. You need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, why are you sitting here until you die? Because the Bible says they ask themselves the million-dollar question, why are we just giving up? Why are we just sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we will die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. And they did something. They got up and they began to walk. And as they began to walk, they did it by faith. And as they walked by faith, God caused the Syrian army to hallucinate. And they heard a huge army that didn't exist coming at them. And they dropped everything and fled. And these four lepers, who would have sat there until they died, walked into riches and food and drink. And they became, became the four evangelists that went back to the city of Samaria and preached liberty and breakthrough and freedom to everybody else because they said, I am not laying down and dying. you got to make up your mind you're going to fight back. Have you done that? Don't you lay down and die. Don't you lay down and give it up. Don't you let the devil dig your grave. Don't you let men put this tombstone over your future and over your dream. Because they will. But if God's not putting a tombstone over it, there is no tombstone over it. He's calling you to overcome. Church, I hope you're hearing this today, and I want you to remember this message. If every mountain slides into the sea and America goes insane, I want you to remember God is on your side. You are a victor. You are a conqueror. You are the light of the world, and you are the salt of the earth, and you don't have to give up and die. And the last thing I want to say about it, and I'm going to close, is here's the third thing you've got to know when you're coming out of Ziklag. You've got to know that the fight and the struggle are going to develop you. 
A famous coach once told his team that his job was to make them do what they did not want to do, that they might become what they really wanted to be. And that's what trials do. See, God allows trials into your life. And here's what his intent is. To make you do what you don't want to do. I don't want to climb that hill. I don't want to discipline my life. I don't want to seek the Lord. I like sitting in my easy chair with potato chips and a Coke and watching the tube. But God will let things crowd in until you've got to find the prayer closet and you've got to seek Him and you've got to pick up that sword and that shield and begin to fight spiritually or die. And when that happens, I want you to know that God is causing you to do what you don't want to do so that you can become who you really want to be. A man of God. A woman of God. A warrior for Christ. Back to cycling just a moment. The truth is, you've got to have the hills to develop your muscles. When I got my new bike, I went up some hills, almost killed me. Now I can go up those hills, and you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say it fairly effortlessly. What has happened? I've gotten stronger. I needed those hills. A Christian life without hills produces flabby saints with faltering faith. You've got to have those hills. I'm going to close with some words from Simon Peter, who knew a little bit about hills and valleys, failures and successes. He said, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself complete and make you what you ought to be. Mm. He'll make you what you ought to be. He'll establish you, ground you securely, and strengthen you and settle you. It comes from the straight road, plugging along. It comes from downhill where it seems so easy. God's blessing from every side. And then all of a sudden, you're looking up at a mountain. And you begin to climb that mountain. And you're straining and you're pushing. And every bit of faith you got is being used. But what you don't see is that faith is becoming muscular. And you get to the top and you say, me and Jesus, we did it. And next time you face that hill, what was a mountain is only now a little molehill because you're stronger. So say with me, know that God is on your side. Know that you must decide to fight back. And know the trial is going to strengthen you. Let's stand together, can we? How many of you needed this today? How many of you are going up a hill? Let me see. All right. Father, we just thank you right now that we don't have to let anything become our tombstone, but it becomes our stepping stone. The child of God goes from faith to faith and glory to glory. And Lord, we pray right now. I pray for everyone in this room struggling, uh, pushing, who might be in their own ziklag. I pray that ziklag will not break them, but will make them. I pray that they will push through, come out on the other side like David, into their new anointing, into their new calling, into the voice of God saying to them, come up hither and into a divine promotion. With every head bowed today.
You can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm struggling, and I'll let you pray for me right now. I'm in a ziklag, and I need the grace of God to make it a stepping stone. Raise your hand, would you? Let me see you. Bless you, bless you. Many people. God bless you. Now let me ask this question of you. Some of you are praying about a church home. You're saying, Lord, where, where should we go? Where are we to plant ourselves? Where are you calling us? And I can tell you that's a great prayer because God wants you planted somewhere. It says those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. God has a family for you, pastor for you, a place for you to call home. And if you feel like God has given you a peace about here, you go, how do I know? Because you have peace. How do I know where to go? You have peace and you're feeling fed and you feel at home. God gives his people homes. You can say, Pastor, I believe that the Lord is speaking to my heart that this is my church home. Can I see your hands here today? And I want to pray with you. Put them up real high where I can see you. God bless you. Let me see you. Bless you. I'm going to ask if your hand is raised. I want you to do something. I want you to slip out and come.